I was walking through the cafeteria at college, and I noticed a, uh, a student sitting by himself at the far end of the, the dining room. Uh, his name was Claudius, and he was black. And at Judson College, where I went, there weren't very many black students. And he was sitting by himself. So I decided to go over and put my tray down and, and get to know him. And Claudius and I became friends. Claudius was from Zimbabwe and had come to the United States to get an education. Fascinating guy. He was a journalist back in Zimbabwe. And he had, as a journalist, met with lots of the leaders that I'd heard of in Africa. Muammar Gaddafi, Arafat. He had seen so much. And as it happened, Claudius and I both worked in the cafeteria, and so we began talking, and one of the things we began talking about was the differences in our governments. Now, I'm an American and good, you know, democratic, representative republic, believe in our system. Claudius came from Zimbabwe, which was socialist. And so we began talking about the differences in the government institutions from where we came. And he would argue uh, points about socialism, and then, you know, I would counter and say, well, yeah, but what about this? And then I would talk about our representative republic and how it works here, yeah, but what about this? And so then it expanded, we started talking about all of the different human systems of government from which the, country, the countries, the nations of our world choose. We argued, what's the best one? What's the one? And at the end, my African brother in Christ and I, we came to an agreement. And the agreement was this. The only government that really works is God on the throne. Today, I want to I, I share with you a, a paradigm, a way of thinking that uh, was introduced in the auditorium back during the Acts series. And I want, you to think about, I, th I want you to think about life on four levels, right? Level four is God's kingdom. Level four is eternity, all right? That's what we're shooting for. That's where we began in Genesis. That's where we're going in Revelation. Level four, God's kingdom. Level three are the institutions of this world, our government, our business, uh, even the institutions of church. And believe me, the church is an institution, right? I mean, the, we say, and you ever think about that? We say in the, uh, in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Everyone wonder about that? And you think, are, are we all supposed to be Catholic? What's, what? Well, it, the Holy Catholic Church, the word Catholic means the all-encompassing. In other words, all of those who follow Christ are part of his body and part of his church. Not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Catholic Church. And believe me, the Roman Church is not holy. Guess what? The Reformed Church in America isn't holy either. I've been to the Synod meetings, okay? 
We believe in the holy Catholic Church, the body of Christ, all who follow Jesus making up his holy Catholic Church. So that's level three, is the institutions of this world. Level two is my community, the, the, the circles of influence where I have community, my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, the people that I hang out with, the people that I, that I can influence and relate with in my community. That's level two. Level one is just me. Level one is where I have conversations with life. Level one is where I have a personal relationship or not with God. Life on four levels. Personal, community is two, institutions of this world are three, God's kingdom is four. Now, if we are going to bring God's kingdom to earth, that's what we've been talking about, your kingdom come, your will be done, then we've got to figure out what that means, and we've got to figure out what, what is it in God's kingdom that we're supposed to bring? Well, so I go to the kingdom. and go to Revelation chapter 5 where we're in the throne room of heaven. And there on the throne is the lamb who was slain. And the multitudes cry, worthy is the lamb who was slain. For he was slain and by his blood he purchased people of every tribe and every nation and every language. That's the kingdom. And he has made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. All nations, all tribes, all people have been purchased by his blood. What did Kevin say a couple weeks ago? Heaven is not going to be just a bunch of white dudes. Heaven looks like all of God's people and creation. That's God's kingdom. John 14, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many, uh, we want to say mansions, don't we? I, I hate to disappoint you, but, but the word there in the Greek really means rooms, many rooms. And you're going, you know, I don't get a mansion? Look, it means rooms. In other words, there's room for everybody. There is a room for everyone. You mean it's not a mansion? Well, I don't think so. That's not the word. But guess what? I also know that in God's kingdom, you go to the end and it says, there is no more sin or pain or death or grief. It, there's none of it. So if there's no greed, which is sin, I think a room would be just fine. And, well, well is somebody else going to have a mansion and I don't? Well, guess what? I don't know. But I also know that there's no sin, so there's no envy. So it's going to be all right. That's the picture of God's kingdom where there's room for everybody. And everybody has a place. And that's the kingdom that we are supposed to bring to earth. Now, when God, and I've been blogging my way through Exodus. And it's, in, at that point in the great story, from Genesis, we get to Exodus, and God had not really revealed himself to his people. So in Genesis, we have Abraham, and he has sons, and he has sons. Now all of a sudden, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. In Exodus, God is introducing himself to humanity. 
It starts with Moses. He introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush. And then Moses introduces him to the tribes of Israel. They leave Egypt. And now God, in the wilderness, is explaining to his people, this is how I work. And this is how I want things to be done. And in that, he gives them a picture of who he is. He gives them a picture of how his kingdom is supposed to work. So we're going to go through this really quickly. So uh, if you're taking notes, you might want to write down. And we're going to start in Exodus, the 16th chapter. So they leave, and they're going through the wilderness. And all of a sudden, we've got, now, it's all the tribes. So some scholars estimate 2 million men, women, children, and all their livestock. How are we going to get enough to eat? In chapter 16, God gives his, uh, his prescription here, beginning at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Give us this day our daily bread. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in and be twice as much on the sixth day so that on the Sabbath, they had enough. Now, I want you to skip up to the 18th verse. So the Israelites, let's start at 17. The Israelites did as they were told, and they gathered much, and some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who only gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered what they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of this until morning. And tomorrow, you'll gather it again. Verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. And Moses got ticked off. So, kingdom economics lesson number one. God's economic gifts rot when they're hoarded, and workaholism gets you nowhere. Why did Jesus say to the rich young ruler, there's one thing you lack, sell everything, and then come back and follow me? Because he was sad. What does it profit you to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? It's getting in the way. God did not come that his gifts could be hoarded or held onto or hidden away for myself. Kingdom economics lesson number two. When God gives, he provides enough for everybody. Now the... the Israelites, the Hebrews, they blow through the wilderness. 40 years later, they end up in the promised land. When they get to the promised land, this is what God had them do. Separate the land, the promised land, into 12 regions, and every tribe has their region. And then every family within that tribe got their own plot of land to work, to have their livestock. They were agrarian, to farm. Every family, because what, in God's economy, Everyone has a place. Then, every 50 years, let's go to Leviticus 25. Every 50 years, they had what was called 
the year of Jubilee. And this is what it's described. Consecrate the 50, 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Don't sow, don't reap what grows of itself, harvest and the unintended vines. For it is a jubilee and it's to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, Get ready here. Everyone is to return to their own property. If during the 50 years, the 49 years, you sell any land to your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. And they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left until the next jubilee. When the years are many, you are to increase the price. And when the years are few, you are to decrease the price. Because what is really being sold to you is the number of crops, okay? Kingdom economics lesson number three. Everyone has a place to stand. See, if you sold your land to another family because of whatever, the land did not belong to them, and guess what? It doesn't belong to you either. It belongs to Yahweh. And every 50 years, if I sold my family land because I mismanaged it or whatever, every 50 years, which is what? A generation, the next generation returns to the land and it's theirs and we hit the economic reset button. And the family has a chance to make it all over again. Everyone has a place to stand in God's kingdom. And everyone, when God gives it, has enough. And when we hoard it, it rots. Now, here's the thing. It didn't work. It didn't work. Because as God told his people, this is the way I want you to do it, but guess what? We are a fallen, sinful people, and whenever you create a human institution, it is run by corrupt individuals who are fallen people, who are sinful. And there is no institution, even the people of Israel, who made it work. So now Jesus comes. Now, if you want to learn more about that, go to Romans chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 10, where Paul describes why it didn't work because of our sin. It wasn't the problem that God's plan was wrong or it wouldn't work. The problem was the law. I figured out we were sinful and we needed another way. Now Jesus comes on the scene, right? Now, follow me. And if there is one thing that you hear this morning Hear this, Jesus never prescribed nor did he seek an institutional answer to the inequities of this world. He sought a personal answer. Matthew 6, seek ye first God's kingdom 
and his righteousness. And then all these things, what are the other things? What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, the daily bread, the things of this life, all these things come into focus when we first seek God's kingdom. Romans chapter 12, verse two, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't be conformed to these level three patterns that you see, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Wendy and I uh, love the movie The Godfather. We wanna talk about patterns of this world, watch The Godfather, right? All, a lot of us know, in fact, just the other night we had, we had a Godfather night. We made a big Italian meal, right? And we have a couple friends that have never seen it before, came over, we watched the movie together. And he, the famous scene, here's, you know, Michael Corleone, The Godfather, and what does he say? As he is scheming to take everything from everybody else and to use his power and leverage to gain more for himself and his family, and to kill off all of his enemies. And then he says what? Oh, it's not personal. It's strictly business. That's the pattern of this world. I use my power, I use my privilege, I use my leverage to get more for myself, even if it costs somebody else. Here's God's paradigm. It's not business, it's strictly personal. See, Jesus' paradigm was to change an individual on level one. And when I, as an individual, seek God's kingdom first, then what happens? It changes my community because now I am doing God's kingdom work and the people that I live with and the people that I live around in my neighborhood and the people that I work with, and now I am bringing God's kingdom into my spheres of influence. And guess what? When a bunch of us come together, in a local congregation like this, then all of a sudden now, all of us seeking the kingdom are going to begin to have an influence on the institutions of this world. We want it to be three, two, one. We want it to be God's kingdom changes the institutions. The institutions tell us how to live as a community and then me as a community is going to give me what I need. God does not conform to the pattern of this world. His is four, one, two, three. Kingdom in me changes my community. My community changes the world. He started with 12. So here's economic lesson number four. If I am a follower of Christ, I and everything that I think I own is not mine. For you have been bought with a price. The land that was slain purchased through his blood people of every nation and tribe and kingdom and language. Like Yahweh in the promised land, the land is not mine. It belongs to God. Therefore, everything that I have is God. And if I am seeking after God's kingdom, then I and everything that I own is at the king's disposal. And when I am seeking after his kingdom, then that's going to change my community. Because now all of a sudden I'm going to be generous and I'm going to share and I'm going to seek to do God's kingdom work. And guess what? When a bunch of us start doing that, it changes Pella. 
And people start going, well, wait a minute, what's going on there in Pella? And now all of a sudden, it begins to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. Four, one, two, three. Did you know, ever, ever notice that when Jesus returned from the dead, he didn't go to the temple? He didn't. Where did he show up? He showed up in Emmaus at the table, breaking bread. He showed up at the shore of the Sea of Galilee where he was having a fish fry for the disciples. He showed up behind locked doors where the 12 and the ladies were all gathered having a meal. See, the risen Christ came not to transform the institution of the temple, he came to transform us at the table. Let me read this for you. This, Wendy and I have this on our refrigerator at home. The risen Christ did not appear at the temple, but at meal tables. The center of God's activity had shifted. It was no longer the temple, but the table that was the holiest of all. The church would do well to think of it itself, not so much as a kind of temple, but as a kind of table. This represents a fundamental shift. Consider the difference between the temple and the table. The temple is exclusive. The table is inclusive. Temple is hierarchical. Table is egalitarian. Temple is authoritarian. Table is affirming. Temple is uptight and status conscious. Table is relaxed, family style. Temple is a rigorous enforcement of purity codes and prohibits the unclean. The table is a welcome party, welcome home for returning sinners. The temple was temporal. The table is eternal. This is my body. Take it and eat. This is my blood. Take it and drink. So here's where we land. Isn't that the beautiful picture of the potluck? Everybody Brings. Everybody who is transformed by the kingdom brings what I have to the potluck. Some bring little, and they get shared with more. I bring a lot because I got God bless me with a lot, and I get to share it with those who don't have as much. That's kingdom economics. So here's the thing, and I'll leave you with this. What that means for me when I say it may look different than what it means for you when you seek it. When I bring to God all that I am and all that I have and put it at his disposal, he may ask me something different than he asks you. And I must give up my right to, number one, decide if the person that I'm going to share with is worthy of it, has earned it, has merited it in any way. I have to surrender my right to demand to know, what are you going to do with this that I'm giving you? And I have to give up my right to be treated like everybody else. Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give up everything and then follow. But what's really interesting, there's a woman named Joanna. Luke chapter eight is where this is. A woman named Joanna who followed Jesus and she provided funds for Jesus in his ministry. Her husband was a steward in Herod's household. He worked for Herod, the enemy. And yet Joanna, brings and is providing for Jesus and his disciples. 
Jesus didn't ask her to give up, sell everything. It looks different for me than it may for you. But when I, when I surrender and put myself at the disposal of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I give up my right to decide what it needs to look like for anybody else. Let's pray. God, may your kingdom come. May it come in me. Transform my heart. Transform my life. Lord, I put at your disposal all that I am and all that you have given me and blessed me with and all that I think that I own, it is yours. Show me. Show Wendy, show us how we are to use it for your kingdom work in our community, in our spheres of influence. Lord Jesus Christ, meet us at our dining room table and transform us into the people that you call us to be. In your name, amen.